Good morning, and welcome to Church Matters, a place where we ask questions about the life of the church at home, across the street, and around the world. This program is brought to you by Mennonite Church Canada. My name is Janet Plenert. And I'm Dan Dick. And we are your hosts. Today's show is the second half of our two-part series talking with Dr. Tom Yoder Neufeld on how we know what we know about Jesus. The many recent books on the market suggest a strong and renewed interest in Jesus. Some works tackle Jesus as a highly moral man with some good teachings. Others interpret Jesus as a divine messenger from God. Authors use research from historical documents, scholarly works, and archaeological information. Even the people living in New Testament times had difficulty understanding Jesus, as we read in Mark 8, 27-30. Just after healing a blind man, Jesus queries his disciples. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. Today we've asked Dr. Tom Yoder Neufeld to help us explore who Jesus is and was. Tom is Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Conrad Grable University College in Waterloo, Ontario, and has recently released a new book entitled Recovering Jesus, The Witness of the New Testament. Welcome here, Tom. I'm uh, pleased to be back. Tom, we've been talking about different views of Jesus. Jesus, the peacemaker, the life, the one that gives guidance to everyday peace-loving life. And we've been talking about Jesus, the Savior, who gives us salvation, eternal life. How do we hold these together? There are many Christians who believe in Jesus as their personal salvation, yet struggle to fully live out Jesus, the peacemaker, the non-violent reconciler that restores and heals and refuses to use violence. How do we deal with that as a church? Well, we can talk about the diversity of emphasis within the larger Christian family, where some churches have stressed uh, the one more than the other. Uh, In our own tradition, uh, in the Mennonite and Anabaptist tradition, of course, um, at least especially in recent decades, um, we have stressed very strongly discipleship, peacemaking, and so on. And so for all of these churches, this unity that I at least see in the New Testament represents a serious challenge. Uh, We could put it this way. What if our confession of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, and so on, would make it absolutely essential and unavoidable that we therefore need to love our enemies. In other words, the problem isn't that you've got a very high Christology, you know, a very high view of Jesus. The problem may be that you don't have a view high enough that you feel compelled to live that way. I mean, that's where I almost feel like, you know, that phrase from weddings, let not man put asunder what God has put together. We've pulled apart something that should never have come apart. The reason why we take courage to take up the cross, the often costly way of the cross, is because the one who calls us is Lord, is the one who not only died but was raised. 
is the one who shows us where this whole story is going. Some of us, especially in recent years, are really excited about peacemaking and justice-making and reduce Jesus to a kind of model. I fear that that has a short shelf life because this way will not always be popular. This way will not always um, be good politics. We know that from our own history that many times when people had the courage to follow the way of Jesus, it cost them and their loved ones their lives. Um, The folks today, our sisters and brothers in Zimbabwe, are struggling enormously with what it means to suffer when you follow the way of Jesus. For that, we need the risen Christ present with us in the Spirit, empowering us, reminding us that we are the body of Christ, and because of that, we share in Christ's mission, which has never been anything other than costly. So I think we have a real agenda here. For those of us who think it's obvious that to follow Jesus means to be into peacemaking, we should beware of not forgetting the larger picture of Jesus because we need that desperately, especially when that way is no longer popular especially when that way becomes very costly. And those who prefer to put the emphasis on correct doctrine about Jesus, uh, they should ask themselves whether their view of Jesus is high enough to compel them to live that very real life of justice-seeking and peacemaking that Jesus, in fact, modeled. So that doesn't mean that that's simple. It doesn't mean that we won't have serious debates with each other within the larger Christian community as we will within each of our denominations. The way is often very complex, but we have to come to this as those who have experienced the grace of Christ, who draw on the power of the Spirit precisely in order to follow the way, the costly way of peacemaking. Now, many churches would agree that the gospel is a gospel of peace, Jesus is Lord and Savior, that that leads us to a life of discipleship and peacemaking. The reality is also that many of these churches will say, yes, but peacemaking isn't practical, or peacemaking has consequences we're not willing to pay. So there are churches that will say yes to all, to both sides of Jesus and both realities of Jesus, but at a but, and then con condone war, condone the use of violence. What do we say to that? This is a problem that's been with us now for 1,700 years. And I think uh, it's the problem of what it means to live with limited understanding and limited courage within a very challenging world. Even in our own tradition, we have struggled at times with whether it really makes sense to follow the way of Jesus in times of revolution, in times uh, when things are going well. Many, many Christians have hitched their wagon to the political powers um, at various times. And we often point to that happening already in the fourth century with the Emperor Constantine. Constantine has been around in different guises for 1,700 years. He's still around. And we still struggle with the temptation to hitch our wagon to political power. 
That was already the temptation for Jesus in the desert. Immediately after he was told, you are the Messiah, he was tested. Are you willing to exercise the perks of Messiahship? And Jesus said no. The challenge for us, whether we're Mennonite, as I am, or whatever our church traditions is, to hitch our confession about Jesus to the resolution or the resolve to actually follow his way. Uh, The challenges are huge for all of us on that one. I think in terms of the dialogue we carry on amongst each other as people from different Christian traditions, I think the best way is for us to remind each other that we all have been purchased by God's grace through the costly giving of Jesus' life. And then ask, what does it mean for us as beneficiaries to offer our lives in the same way? Rather than start the argument about ethical decision-making, what does it mean for us to imitate the Christ who gave himself for us? That's part of the confession every one of the Christian traditions makes. So if we could start there and ask, what does it mean for us to live as members of the body of that Christ, maybe we would have different discussions with each other rather than arguing how much violence is permissible. Because then what you usually do is start off with a description of the situation and what does it take to change this and that. Whereas if we ask who are we as the beneficiaries of God's grace and what does it mean for us to become participants in the offer of that grace, I think we'd have a different discussion. Tom, what's at stake for the church in all of this? A great deal. At stake in the end, I don't think, is the correctness of our views of Jesus. Uh, I think Jesus can take care of himself. Um, But at stake is whether our lives are informed by what Jesus calls us to. Um, At stake is whether we come to know the baffling grace of God in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, whether we live in hope of the full establishment of God's will, the kingdom of God, and whether we give ourselves to participating in his mission in the world as his body. That's what's at stake. Well, Tom, there's much more that we could talk about, but we do have to wrap it up here. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. It's been a great pleasure uh, to be on your program. That's the second half of our two-part series on Jesus. As always, we welcome your comments. You can call us at 1-866-888-6785 or email office at mennonitechurch.ca with your comments, concerns, and suggestions. In the meantime, we invite prayer and financial support for Mennonite Church Canada. To learn more about our work, visit our special projects website at www.healingathope.ca. There you can donate online, or you can send a gift to 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. Write Church Matters on the envelope. If you are interested in Tom Yoder Neufeld's book, Recovering Jesus, call the Mennonite Church Canada Resource Centre at 1-866-888-6785. My name is Dan Dick. And I'm Janet Plennert. You have been listening to Church Matters, where our prayer is that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Tune in again at the same time on the third Sunday of the month to hear more about the many ways 
that church matters. Thanks for joining us. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living. Salt and light as people of the way.